What's up, guys? Welcome to Grow Series, an MCAT review podcast. In this fifth episode of the biology section here, we'll be talking about the respiratory system. It's been quite a while since I've done an episode. You know, med school kind of got in the way, just took step one, so I have a bit of time. So I'll be trying to get in at least one or two more episodes in here. Maybe more, we'll see. But um, yeah, so we're going to start off with respiratory here. And you guys know my usual spiel here. This is a passive supplemental source of content for when you're chilling in the car, the subway, unicycle, whatever. It shouldn't be your main source of content, but it'll be a nice broad review of important things to remember. And I really try to make it at least semi-bearable. I really try to check all my sources as well, but if you catch a mistake, just shoot me an email. The email should be in the description box of wherever you're listening to this at. So like I said, in this episode, we'll be talking about the respiratory system. We'll be going over topics like the anatomy of the respiratory system, what each different part of breathing does, how we regulate breathing in the brain, and I'll throw some interesting words you have to know uh, regarding the volume of breathing. And then we're going to end with the functions of the respiratory system. And spoiler, it's more than just getting oxygen into you. So, all right, let's just get started. It's definitely much easier than the digestive system from the last episode. So let's get into it. All right. So the respiratory system is, of course, all about the lungs. The lungs are located in the thoracic cavity. So the main point of the lungs is gas exchange, right? Gas exchange occurs in the lungs by air being brought in through your nostrils going through the nasal cavity, and then being filtered by the mucous membranes and the nasal hairs. So mucus and nasal hairs are your body's air filter. So if you shave your nose hairs, you're technically kind of messing with your respiratory system, which is a little weird, kind of crazy. After that, we get to the pharynx. So we just did, you know, all that nasal cavity, mucous membranes, nasal hairs. Now we're at the pharynx. We touched on this with the digestive system too, but over there, we went down the esophagus route. Here we're going to go down the larynx route. So larynx equals breathing, esophagus equals eating. So the larynx has this opening called the glottis, which is covered by an epiglottis during swallowing to prevent food from entering the larynx. And the larynx also has two vocal cords. So when we breathe, air travels through the larynx, goes down the trachea, and into one of two bronchi. So these bronchi, they have ciliated epithelial cells. So bronchi equals ciliated epithelial cells. Those catch the big material that made it past the membrane. So whatever kind of made it through the nose hairs, all that stuff, the bronchi have these cells that go ahead and catch that. So when you hit the bronchi, congrats, you're now at the lungs. The bronchi, they differentiate into smaller bronchioles, which divide into thousands of tiny alveoli, where gas exchange actually occurs. And you've probably heard the gas exchange stuff thousands of times, but each alveoli is essentially coated with this surfactant stuff. Surfactant lowers the surface tension and prevents the alveoli from collapsing. So we basically put this like oil surfactant stuff on this alveoli and that lowers the surface tension, makes sure it doesn't collapse. So the surfactant is basically the scaffold that keeps the alveoli standing and the alveoli has a whole posse of capillaries around them that carries oxygen and carbon dioxide. So that's a super zoomed in version of the lungs, you know, bronchi to bronchioles to alveoli. But let's zoom out a little bit and let's talk about the stuff around the lungs. So the lungs are surrounded by a membrane called a pleura. This pleura is a closed sac that the lungs expand against. 
And we have a parietal pleura, which is the outer part, and the visceral pleura, which is the surface next to the lungs. Parietal comes from the Latin word for wall, and visceral comes from the Latin word for inner. So visceral is right next to the lungs, and the parietal envelops the whole lungs. And as you might expect, between them is a pleural cavity. So if someone stabs you in the chest and tears through your parietal pleura, air gets into that pleural cavity and we mess with the whole homeostasis we had there. So the lungs are at a risk of collapsing. So don't get stabbed. Then we have the diaphragm. This is basically the barrier between the thoracic cavity, which is all about the lungs, and the abdominal cavity, which has all the other stuff. So digestive system, jazz, all that. The diaphragm is the main muscle for making negative pressure within the lungs, but the external intercostal muscles help too. So what is negative pressure? What did I just say? Negative pressure is like a vacuum. And we all know about that PV equals NRT stuff. When the diaphragm contracts, the volume increases and therefore pressure drops. Increase in volume, decrease in pressure. When the pressure drops inside your thoracic cavity, we try to equalize it with the air outside, aka we breathe in. So I think external intercostal muscles create negative pressure because they want external air coming in. External intercostal muscles create negative pressure. They want external air coming in. All right, so we got over the anatomy of the lungs. Now that we know the location of everything, we can get a bit more detailed about the process. So we talked about the pleura and the parietal and visceral pleura. The intrapleural space or the pleural cavity is the space between the visceral and parietal pleura. Makes sense, right? The parietal pleura is outside and the visceral pleura is inside. And that space, that intrapleural space, contains this thin layer of fluid that helps lubricate both surfaces. All right, now let's get into breathing. Inhalation is where the diaphragm and the external intercostal muscles are used to expand the thoracic cavity. So if we expand the cavity, what does that do? Well, if pressure and volume are inversely proportional, if we increase the volume, we decrease the pressure. All right. So we all everything in the respiratory is kind of related to pressure, volume, all that. If we decrease the pressure, then the pressure in the lungs compared to the pressure outside the lungs uh, in the atmosphere is smaller. So the pressure in the lungs is smaller than the outside atmospheric pressure. And physics tries to make it all equal, so they fill the lungs with air to try to make it even. And that's, like I mentioned before, what we call negative pressure breathing. So negative pressure breathing, inhaling, you should kind of combine those two you know, terms in your mind. So decrease the pressure inside the lungs and rush air in to equalize the atmosphere and um, the lungs pressure. They're both equal. All right, so let's talk about exhalation. So unlike inhalation, exhalation is not an active process. Inhalation, we flex the external intercostal muscles and the diaphragm. With exhalation, we're just chilling. We just relax the external intercostal muscles and diaphragm. And relaxing them increases the intrapleural space pressure. And if we tighten that space and increase the pressure between the pleura, then the air in the lungs is like, yo, we got to go. And they just get pushed out, a.k.a. exhalation. So every time you breathe and you exhale, you increase that intrapleural space and you get air pushed out. So exhalation usually is a pretty relaxed thing. You know, we're relaxing the external intercostal muscles and we're relaxing the diaphragm. But, not trying to confuse you here, but exhalation can be an active process. If we exhale, we're normally relaxing that diaphragm and the external intercostal muscles, right? So exhalation is usually all relaxation. But what about a forced exhalation like a cough? Well, when you cough, 
you can feel it. You're not relaxing. Well, that doesn't seem like relaxation. In those situations, we have to contract some muscles. And the muscles we contract are the abdomen muscles and the internal intercostal muscles. So this whole time we've been talking about the intercostal muscles. I've been saying external intercostal muscles. I said with inhalation, we're flexing the external intercostal muscles. With exhalation, we're relaxing the external intercostal muscles. But when we're doing a forced exhalation, like with a cough, we're actually flexing the internal intercostal muscles. So the internal intercostal muscles play a part in exhalation and just got to know something like a cough, you are using those internal intercostal muscles. All right, so breathing in, it's always an active process and we contract that diaphragm and those external intercostal muscles. Exhalation, usually not an active process because it's actually just relaxation of the diaphragm and external intercostal muscles but it can be an active process if we're coughing. And if you contract your internal intercostal muscles and your abdominal muscles, that's uh, a forced exhalation. Now, when we're exhaling, we're trying to make the volume of the area around the lungs smaller so that the lungs are forced to push air out. But we want to make sure things don't collapse on us. And earlier, I talked about those alveoli before, how they're super delicate and surfactant, make sure they don't get crushed in exhalation. It does that by lowering the surface tension of the alveoli. Meanwhile, the lungs themselves, they're connected to the chest wall, and that makes sure the lungs don't collapse on that recoil. All right, so the pairs we have that you got to know are the diaphragm and the external intercostal muscles used for inhalation and for passive exhalation, and then we have the internal intercostal muscles and the abdominal muscles used for active exhalation, like with coughing. Now, let's talk about how we regulate breathing, and I'm going to throw a crap ton of vocab words at you guys about breathing, so just get ready. All right, so we regulate breathing using these neurons up there in your noggin, right? Specifically, the medulla oblongata area of the noggin of your brain in this place called the ventilation center. So the neurons fire on a beat that causes a regular contraction of your respiratory muscles. They have these chemoreceptors that are sensitive to carbon dioxide, CO2. So just remember, the neurons have chemoreceptors that are sensitive to CO2. And as CO2 increases, the respiratory rate increases and we expel more and more gas. Now notice how I mentioned CO2, not oxygen. They're really sensitive to carbon dioxide to make sure that's okay. But the neurons don't really fire when they're looking at oxygen levels. That's kind of cool to me. They only do that when you're really undergoing some severe hypoxemia, aka really, really low oxygen. The main thing the medulla oblongata tracks is CO2. And that's something you should remember. Because logically, we think of breathing, we think of oxygen. But your brain, when it thinks of breathing, it's thinking of how are the levels of CO2. So we have this unconscious control of breathing with the medulla oblongata. But we have some voluntary control over breathing within our cerebrum. Like, uh, you know, when I talk about voluntary control over breathing right now, it might make you voluntarily breathe. Talking about this topic made your cerebrum aware of your breathing, and we shifted into manual conscious breathing mode. All right, so now onto the vocab words I talked about. So basically, we have a lot of words to measure things in the lungs, and a lot of the time we use a spirometer to do the measuring. A spirometer is a measurement tool that tests the capacity of the lungs. All right, the first word we're going to talk about is the total lung capacity. And that's easy, right? It's the maximum volume of air in the lungs when someone inhales completely. Kind of logical, total lung capacity. How much can your lungs take? Then we have the residual volume. So that's when you completely exhale, like completely. 
and there's still some air left in your lungs, that's the residual volume of air. So your lungs always keep a little bit left. When you completely exhale, there's still a little bit left. That little bit is the residual volume of air. All right, so the ultimate maximum, maximum most amount of air you can hold is the total lung capacity. The total least amount of air your lungs can hold is the residual volume. What's that middle ground? So basically, total lung capacity minus residual volume, that kind of middle ground, what we're actually playing with on a day-to-day basis, is uh, what you're functioning with. It's your vital capacity. It's the capacity of air that's used normally in your lungs, the vital amount, the essential amount, the amount we actually use. So total lung capacity is a maximum. Residual volume is a minimum. What you use on your day-to-day is the vital capacity. All right, three more terms here. The next one is tidal volume. Tidal volume is the volume of air inhaled or exhaled in a normal breath. This is weird, but the way I think of it is this is like kind of like the ocean. You know, the ocean might have tsunamis or it might have low tides, but the tidal volume is when you're at the beach and you see waves crashing onto the beach. They're all more or less the same. So each wave or breath is what is measured by tidal volume. Expiratory reserve volume is the additional air that's forcibly exhaled after a normal exhalation. So when you normally exhale, you release some air, but you know how you can kind of push your exhale and forcibly release more air? That excess air that you release is the expiratory reserve volume. So breathe out right now, and then when you feel like your expiration is done, breathe out a little bit more. That little bit more that you just exhaled was the expiratory reserve volume. All right, and inspiratory reserve volume is, of course, the opposite. It's the volume of additional air that can be forcibly inhaled after a normal inhalation. So try to do the same thing. Breathe in and then wait and then breathe in a little bit more. You can breathe in some more air after your normal inhalation amount. All right, so all in all, not too terrible. We had total lung capacity, which is the maximum volume of air in the lungs when someone inhales completely. I told you about the residual volume, which is the air left in your lungs after you completely exhale. We talked about the vital capacity. That's the maximum amount of air your lungs can hold minus the minimum amount of air your lungs can hold. It's the the normal capacity. And then we talked about tidal volume, which is easy. Think you're breathing like a tide. Tidal volume is the normal volume of air inhaled or exhaled in a normal breath. So breathing is like an ocean. Tidal volume is just measuring the waves on a normal sunny day. And then lastly, I talked to you guys about expiratory and inspiratory reserve volume. Expiratory reserve volume is the volume of additional air that can be forcibly exhaled after a normal exhalation. Inspiratory reserve volume is the volume of air that can be forcibly inhaled after a normal inhalation. All right, so now let's talk about the four functions of the respiratory system, and we're going to wrap this up. So the four functions, there's water, earth, fire, and air. And long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the fire nation attacked. I'm just, I'm just kidding, guys. The four functions are gas exchange, thermoregulation, immune function, and controlling the pH. If you got that reference, you're the best. All right, so the four functions, let's start off with gas exchange. That is the main function of the lungs. Basically, we take all that deoxygenated blood that comes from the heart and In the alveoli, the lungs pump them up with oxygen again and snap that carbon dioxide back out. And we talked about this in the cardio episode, but the deoxygenated blood is carried to the lungs through the pulmonary arteries because arteries transport blood away from the heart. And the heart gets the oxygenated blood through the pulmonary veins. So arteries is away, 
So we have deoxygenated blood away from the heart to the lungs. Usually, of course, arteries is oxygenated blood. And then the heart gets oxygenated blood through the pulmonary veins. So the main driving force of gas exchange here is the pressure difference between gases. The second function we mentioned is thermoregulation. And since the respiratory system is so vascularized, meaning it has so many blood vessels, along with it having a huge surface area, we can combine these two facts and allow the respiratory system to be used for thermoregulation. With vasodilation, we allow tons of heat to leave, and with vasoconstriction, we can conserve that thermal energy. Now, the third function is immune function. I said earlier that the lungs had a large surface area, right? Well, a large surface area isn't always good. It means more space for pathogens like bacteria, viruses like COVID, fungi, all that fun stuff to get in your body. The high amount of vascularity, aka blood flow, doesn't really help. You're basically giving these viruses a great home as well as great food, so not the best concoction. So to prep for that, we have a few lines of defense. The first line of defense is in the nasal cavity, includes all those small hairs that we mentioned that trap particulate matter. Those particulates are the ones that can also potentially have infectious stuff in them. The small hairs also have a cool sidekick, the enzyme lysozyme. This attacks the peptidoglycan walls of gram-positive bacteria, so it's able to attack some bacteria off the bat. We also have the mucociliary escalator. So after that first line of defense of hair and lysozyme, the internal airways are lined with mucus, and that mucus can trap other invaders. Just like an escalator is automated to move up, the cilia lining the walls of the internal airways propel that material up into the oral cavity, pushes it out of the lungs. Continuing with the lung's immune system, the alveoli, in fact, also have a ton of immune cells. We got macrophages. Uh, those engulf bacteria and they digest pathogens and they signal to the rest of the immune system of a potential invasion. We also have antibodies. They, of course, also protect against pathogens. And lastly, the respiratory system has mast cells. Mast cells have ready-made antibodies on their surfaces, so if cells come and chill with the antibody, the mast cell is like, oh crap, and releases all these inflammatory chemicals, so we get a proper immune response. The crappy part of mast cells, though, is it fires when it comes to stuff like pollen, and that's how you have you know, an allergic reaction to pollen. And the last function we talked about is the control of the pH. And the body, it always tries to maintain a slightly alkaline pH. So that means a pH of around 7.35 to 7.45, just over 7. A lower pH, so a more acidic pH, would get chemoreceptors to tell the brain to increase the respiratory rate and shift the hydrogen ions to make acid to CO2. So we convert that acid to CO2. So the body is forced to breathe more air. So basically, carbon dioxide, it's associated with acid. And since we always want a slightly basic pH, like I mentioned, a pH of around 7.35 to 7.45, you can kind of think of it as us always wanting more oxygen in our body. CO2 is associated with acid. We want basic. We want oxygen. So this shift I mentioned from acid to CO2 and CO2 to acid, it happens because carbon dioxide and water can shapeshift into hydrogen ions and bicarbonate. And they can swing back and forth. So if it's too acidic, we just go to carbon dioxide and force that breathing. And then we have an increase in respiratory rate that reduces the acidity and increases the pH. So if someone is having a panic attack and they're breathing in and out really heavily, we're actually taking in a lot of oxygen and we're breathing out a lot of CO2. 
If our blood is too basic, the opposite occurs. We shift that buffer system to the right and we get more hydrogen ions in the mix. We're trying to slow down the respiratory rate. So that's it. That's the whole respiratory system. It's really not too bad. And I really enjoyed talking about this stuff with you guys. If you like Grow Series, like I always say, I'd really appreciate if you threw a follow, rate the podcast on whatever platform you're on. And as usual, what we do, let's go over what I found were the most important parts and we're going to call it a day. So we started with how air goes through your lungs. It's through the larynx and then the trachea and then the bronchi. Then we go to the bronchioles and finally the alveoli. We talked about the lung pleura and how there's two layers. The outer layer is the parietal pleura. The inner layer is a visceral pleura. The middle area in between the parietal and the visceral pleura is the pleural cavity. If you get air in there, there's a risk of your lungs collapsing. We talked about inhalation and exhalation. Basically, to summarize it, inhalation is an active process always where the diaphragm and the external intercostal muscles contract and they expand that thoracic cavity. Passive exhalation is, of course, a passive process where the diaphragm and the external intercostal muscles relax. They chill out. And then we have active exhalation. It's like when you cough. And the stars of the show here are the abdomen muscles, which contract, and the internal intercostal muscles that also contract with active exhalation. So exhalation is usually a really relaxed process. Active exhalation is not. We talked about how passive breathing was controlled by the ventilation center of the medulla oblongata and that conscious breathing is controlled by the cerebrum. So when I tell you to breathe, your body goes, oh, snap, let's switch from the medulla to the cerebrum. That's oversimplifying a bit, but that's generally what you have to know. Then we went over a few vocab words. The spirometer measures lung capacity. Total lung capacity is the maximum volume of air in the lungs when someone inhales completely. Residual volume is the air left in the lungs after exhaling. The vital capacity is the total lung capacity minus the residual volume, so the vital essential amount that we use on our day-to-day lifestyle. And the tidal volume is the volume of air inhaled or exhaled in a normal breath, just like a normal tide on a normal day at the beach. Expiratory reserve volume is the additional air that can be forcibly exhaled after a normal exhalation, and inspiratory reserve volume is the opposite of that. Lastly, we talked about the four functions of the respiratory system. There is gas exchange, there's thermoregulation, immune function, and controlling the pH. The first two, gas exchange and thermoregulation, they're pretty easy. Gas exchange is literally CO2 and oxygen being transferred around. Thermoregulation is expanding or minimizing blood vessel size to release heat or to conserve heat. Then with immune function, we talked about the different lines of defense, the first one being the nasal cavity. Then the mucociliary escalator, and especially mentioned the alveoli and all the stuff they have. Their macrophages, the antibodies, and the mast cells, which help fight off infections in the alveoli. And lastly, we mentioned controlling that pH. Our body likes a slightly basic pH. pH of what? It's around 7.35 to 7.45. Slightly basic. And we talked about how increasing respiratory rate would increase the pH. It would reduce the acidity. So if we're breathing a lot, we get more basic. If we're breathing a little bit, we get more acidic. So there you have it. That is the respiratory system. This is a quick episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, The next episode, I think I'm going to do genetics and evolution or endocrine system. I'll kind of decide that depending on which one I find more interesting as of right now. So hope to release that as fast as I can. Just remember, if you have any questions or comments you want me to hit up, 
a certain topic or anything like that, just talk to me on uh, via email. And my email is growseriesmcat at gmail.com. So thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope to see you guys on that next episode. 